Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Delighted to be with you. Welcome back to our show as today we take a look at Olympic failure to real estate glory with Hans Struzina. And let us find out how he came into being from Olympian to luxury real estate broker and multifamily investor. So Hans, take us into the show and share an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Hey, Alan, appreciate you having me on. Thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit with your audience. To just kick it into gear with your first question and experience that really helped me be who I am today, the thing that comes straight out of my recesses of my memory was my dad always giving me advice to the effect of work for yourself, start a company, build a business, grow it, work for yourself is the best thing. And he, as an attorney, for many years worked through different law firms and was a partner and all that stuff, and then went out on his own. And so he had seen sort of both sides of this. And so I took that advice and started doing pressure washing and auto detailing for some of my neighbors. And basically as a way to make some money over the summer. And after just passing out a handful of flyers in my neighborhood and getting, I think it was at least three or four phone calls, I ended up making, at the time it was like three, $400 in a week or two. And at the time when you're, I was not driving, I would think I was 12 or 13 even. I was literally taking my car washing stuff in a wheelbarrow down the street so I could detail their cars. It was kind of mind blowing that like I could just come up with an idea, create a flyer, hand it out to some people, have them call me and make that kind of money because the alternative at that time was to get a minimum wage job. And that in a very like short period, like set me on this sort of entrepreneurial kick and it took many different forms and I've had a variety of sales jobs. And as you pointed out now into real estate brokerage and then investing in real estate myself with my wife. And so that's the kickoff for you out of the gate. What a wonderful trajectory, actually. And to find that kind of success at a young age and to actually be able to compare that to what you would have earned in a minimum wage job and to come to the realization that you had a whole lot more control over your destiny than what probably most 12, 13, 14-year-olds ever come to realize. Hans, you started out as an Olympic rower. Tell us about that journey. Not many people are into Olympic rowing. <laughs> Admittedly, I did not start out that way. I really more or less finished that way relative to my athletic career, but it started as I started in athletics, as a lot of kids do, just signing up for whatever was available through school or after school activities. And I tried it all, you know, football, track, wrestling, all that stuff. And I had the distinct displeasure of growing late 
And so, but in fifth grade, I was on the football team. I was co-captain and was one of the better players, showed up for sixth grade. And I was all of a sudden in the, in the lower half of the size and weight catch uh, sheet. And then by freshman year, I was the oldest and the smallest on the football team. So some of those contact and size specific sports were not for me as it turned out. I suppose I could have outworked through some of that, but it was certainly a big hill to climb. And growing up in the Seattle area, rowing, unlike most other cities in the United States, is a very visible and very known tradition. Visible in the sense that the entire city is surrounded or centered around water bodies. And on those water bodies are a lot of rowing boats. So you physically see them on the freeways, on the bridges and so forth. And the University of Washington has an incredibly deep rowing history, just period, but also deep and ingrained into the history of the city. It's actually the oldest sport in, I think it's equivalent to football. They were founded about a year or two apart, as I recall. I can't remember which came first, but it's right up there. And for a long time, it was more popular than football from a spectator and and actually a betting perspective, but I digress. So found that sport through just proximity to it, signed up for the summer rec program and uh, ended up again, because I was smaller, didn't want to do basketball and football and all that. So I said, Hey, I'll give rowing a try because it had more to do with your individual output on the rowing machine or your effort in the boat and your ability to work with the other people in the boat than it did about, you know, how hard you could hit or jump or so far, so forth. So I took to it found out that I had some talent and some natural ability, and then really just started to work and work and work. And that led me to rowing actually at the University of Washington, which upped the level of competition significantly and was fortunate to be part of two national championship crews, rowed with guys from all over the world, literally, because we recruit a lot of international talent at that school, as well as a few other top schools. And that gave me the confidence to compete on the international level. And so I pursued the under 23 team in the summer between college. And then after college, went on to the senior team, ended up making a couple of senior national teams and ultimately the Olympic team for Team USA in the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games. Very interesting. I didn't know that about Seattle. I've always associated rowing with the East and Ivy League and and with England and Oxford. and and Of course, there's a great book called Boys in the Boat. If you want to go get a good true narrative of sort of a blue collar group of guys in the 30s coming up and beating all of the traditional (laughs) Ivy League guys in rowing, that's a good story for you. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting story. Well, let's get into real estate and how it is that you went from rowing, which was consumed you for a good period of time there in your life. How did you move from rowing to real estate? So after the Rio games in late 2016, I knew I was going to take a break because I had been going 12 years continuously from that first time ever rowing until I competed in Rio was 12, just technically just a bit over 12 years. And so I was taking a break for sure for that year 
And so I was going to obviously pursue something professional. And as I mentioned to you earlier, my dad was an attorney. He pivoted into real estate and business attorney halfway through when he went out on his own. And I had uncles who were developers and an architects and they owned different types of properties. So I always had this kind of interest in real estate and always figured I would end up in the field, but more likely on the commercial side versus the residential. And along the way, we met this couple who was in Southern California, who was kind enough to let us stay at their house periodically when we'd go down to San Diego for training camps. They were real estate agents. They were also doing flips and they had what I determined was a pretty awesome lifestyle. And I started to befriend them and just ask about what they were doing. And it really intrigued me. It seemed very flexible. It seemed like you could work as hard as you wanted and hopefully reward yourself based on the effort you put in. There was multiple avenues. You could flip houses, you could sell them, you could wholesale them, you could build, you could remodel. You could. There's all these ways to be involved, not just one avenue of representing buyers and sellers. And so after the Olympics, they was over and I was taking that break. They called me and long story short, brought asked me to come to San Diego, gave me an opportunity to be their expansion team leader here in the East Bay, which basically meant I was making a bunch of cold calls. And when I would get a lead, he would fly up, help me work it because I wasn't licensed at the time. And he would do all the agent stuff and I would do all the back end sort of thing to help him until I got licensed. And once I got licensed, I just repeated what he was doing and started to learn how to do that. And we were focused in the short sale, notice the default world. And I ended up doing nine of those transactions my first year. So I really cut my teeth on some tough stuff, but it was luckily on stuff that people didn't know I was brand new at the time. They had a bigger problem, which was their foreclosure. So I had a solution. They had a problem. I called them, followed up, did the deals and ended up doing all right for the first couple of years. And eventually realized that niche and that sort of the way that the team was structured wasn't quite what I was looking for. And it and at about that time got introduced to my current team leaders and mentors, David and Andrew, through a social connection. And their son was starting to row. They were very successful real estate agents. And I was like, hey, they're doing something I'm not doing. So let's see what I can potentially learn from them. And I spent, my wife and I spent a week, literally a week drafting an email to them as to why I should join their team and what I could do for them. And they liked that. And they brought me in and gave me an opportunity. And the rest is history. That was just over four years ago now. Yeah. Short sales are challenging to say the least, but you did nine of those in one year. That's quite an accomplishment in and of itself because short sales are not as straightforward as, as any other real estate deal. Take a lot of follow-up and hard work, actually. Well, Hans, you've joined partners with partnership. They actually were your mentors. Are you still with that particular team or have you yes. gone out on yourself there? I've moved up. I hold a broker's license in, the, in California, so I could, in principle, start my own thing. But the partnership with them is just so 
robust and there's so much volume and so many opportunities, so much learning. And there's, you know, and they're getting to the latter part of their career. So they're going to be looking to offload more and look for new leadership. And so, so there's opportunities beyond just uh, leads and so forth that I'm hopefully going to have a shot at at some point to some degree. And I think I can bring a lot to the table and they, they obviously give me a lot too. So we're still, we're still very much in business together. Uh, beyond joining forces with these hands, you have also joined forces with your wife. Is she also a broker? She got her license about almost just under a year ago now. I mean, so yes, she is also an Olympic rower, was building and scaling an online fitness business that she really did some really wonderful things with and is starting to scale that down now as she transitions into real estate. But before she got licensed, we were doing all the podcasts, all the reading rich dad, poor dad and everything else. And I was convinced her that real estate investing was a pretty good deal. And we ended up buying our very first property back in 2017 before we had any money. We were scraping together like 40 grand to do the down payment and closing costs. And as soon as we did that first deal and we saw the power of it, we've just been hooked ever since. So we got a, we started doing business together like that. She saw the success I was having as a real estate broker has now transitioned into that with me as well. So we're kind of aligned on multiple fronts in a business perspective now. Well, there is certainly a difference between being a broker and being an investor. I always look at brokerage as a job. Investing is a wealth building mechanism. Totally. So how do you bring the two together? I think there's a lot of overlap. And I think I'm always shocked that so few real estate agents don't invest in real estate because even if you're not investing in your market, you still understand real estate, hopefully. <laughs> if you're a, a broker or an agent, you should get it to some degree. You understand how real estate is built, how it's inspected, the relative costs and ages and lifespans of the systems. You also understand how to finance it at a high level. Like you might not know the specifics around certain types of financing, but you get it conceptually. You also get how it's paid for. You also get how the closing costs work. So you have all this knowledge that translates regardless of if it's a condo, a single family house, or a 50 unit apartment building. It's more or less the same. It's just at scale and that you've got 50 water heaters instead of one or two, right? So that part of it really translates for me. And then the learning happened for us specifically around how to underwrite the deals, how to look at the metrics and the returns, what are the various operating costs associated. And that's like a spreadsheet. That's once you learn it, you model it, you're done. You just have to like keep plugging numbers in and making reasonable assumptions for the various markets you're in. And so it's really not that different other than to your point, once you get a real estate deal done that you're going to put a renter in, it's going to have cash flow, you're done making that putting in the hours to make that money. And hopefully that's just going to pay you in perpetuity or at least in some long-term fashion. Whereas real estate sales, it's just that it's sales. I have to keep go getting clients and keep servicing them, keep writing offers, keep listing houses to make commissions. And so the beautiful thing here is when you start working in a market like where I'm at in this sort of luxury price point, you have to 
work your butt off, but you can make a lot of money doing it. And I can take what I'm not, you know, we live well below our means and have for a long time. So we can take the residual and invest it into real estate. And so I can build a portfolio that we fully control relatively quickly. And that's not to say we are a hundred percent in real estate from an investment standpoint. We have a few other things, but it's primarily real estate because again, it's something that we just get and understand. Hans, take us through this journey as an investor, how you started and where you are today. (laughs) I love that. I'm laughing because take back to 2017, I believe it was when we bought the... So we live in California, we live in the Bay Area. I'm, I'm from Seattle and we were looking at like five or six different markets the last one we looked at before we went into Tacoma, Washington was in Kansas City. And I started doing the math. We were going to fly out there. I was like looking at planes, plane tickets, Airbnb, car rental food. It's like, man, if we do that once a year, we're going to wipe out about 50% of the cash flow of whatever we end up buying because we were looking for duplexes at the time because we didn't have any money, as I mentioned. So I was like, where can we go that we already go anyways? that's got sort of a similar characteristics to a market like Kansas City. And I found Tacoma, Washington, which is about 50 minutes south of Seattle. For a, When I grew up there, it was a place you did not go. You look at the history, the just the crime, drugs, gang, gang-related activity. It was a depressed area for a long time. And it has since shot off like a rocket. It's pretty remarkable, actually, what's happened there in the last 10 years. But we got in, we found this duplex that had been sitting for almost half a year, which at that time was a really long time in that market. Most places were selling in a couple of months or less. And they had, it was about $50,000 below the average. So it was a $245,000 duplex. Most of the other ones in the area were selling for about 300. And the sellers were like, hey, there's about 50 grand of work to do. We're just going to price reduce. And that's our number. If you come in with our 245, we're done. And so we were like, I don't get it. What, why is no one looking at this? We had it inspected. We looked at it. We did our diligence. And long story short is they knew what they had. And we saw it. And everyone wanted a discount on top of their low numbers. So we, we were like, no, this is a great first deal. This is awesome. So we ended up putting an offer in, removing our contingencies, and the, the kicker of this whole thing is at the same time as I'm flipping a house, not I'm not doing the work on it, but I have a contractor, I have a hard money loan, I'm on the deed, the whole thing. And right as we like made our deposit hard on that deal, my contractor put a mechanics lien on this flip because he was afraid that I wasn't going to honor our deal and pay him at close of escrow, which was just absurd that he got he basically made it so I couldn't pay him anymore because I didn't have 20 grand to give him at the time. And so we're in this like moment of like our deposits hard on this property. We've got all this money and effort tied up in this flip. We're down to our last like $2,000. And it was sort of this moment of, oh my gosh, this might actually kill us. Luckily, we didn't have a lot to lose in the first place. But it was that moment of like, this is what they were talking about on the podcast and in the books of like, it's going to be really hard to do the first one. There's going to be a moment when you're going to look down the barrel of the gun and you're like, oh, I don't know. And we could have taken the lesson from that and pulled out of all of it and done no more real estate investing because that was really hard and it was scary. But luckily, we were able to be resourceful, take a step back, 
we were able to borrow the 20 grand, get him paid off, sell the flip, make the 10% or 11%, whatever our margin was at the time, make the money back and then reinvest that into the duplex because the two units were pretty trashed. Fast forward to today, we have done a burr strategy on that unit. We've pulled all the money. We put in about 60 grand to reno it in the end. We've pulled all that money out, bought another property with that money. That thing is cash flowing almost a thousand bucks a month right now. And we since have now we own four properties, nine doors across the four. And the portfolio, I think the equity in the portfolio is probably, it's not a million bucks, but it's kind of knocking on the door into that world. And then we also own our primary residence, which we got for a very good number. And then the market took off under it as well. So that helped. And then we're very actively looking for our next investment right now. So that's where we've built it up to over the last couple of years. Hans, thanks for taking us through that in a step-by-step fashion there. I'm really kind of surprised that you were able to find those kind of opportunities in Tacoma, being so close to Seattle, where I think it would be very, very difficult to find cash flowing properties in that particular region. And so I'm kind of surprised that you found that in the Tacoma area. Tacoma is south of the, I forget the name of the airport there, the International Airport. The SeaTac Airport, yeah. SeaTac, yeah. And so Tacoma south of that, is that Yeah, it's a, correct? The, the airport's about halfway, roughly, between Seattle and Tacoma. Okay. So you either go north to Seattle or south Tacoma. To Tacoma, okay. Explain, many of our viewers and listeners know what you're talking about when you mentioned the acronym BRRRR, but many do not. So what is BRRRR? Well, you buy it, you renovate it, rehab it. You refinance it. So you pull the cash or a bunch of the cash out, meaning so you buy it at a loan number, likely for cash, or maybe you you do, maybe you get a loan on it. You put money into it to rehab it. So you invest some dollars into the condition. Then it's obviously ideally worth more than what you have bought it for, plus the renovation costs. You then go get a refinance on it. So you cash out refinance. So just for sake of argument. You buy it for a hundred, you put in 50. Now the whole thing's worth 250, right? So you've got a hundred thousand dollars spread. You get a loan for the 150 on it. So you pull all of your acquisition plus your rehab costs out, and then you put some renters in there and you repeat. And that's the final R. And so you, then you take that original 150, which you've now pulled off the table and go do that again somewhere else. You go take that 150, buy, rehab, refinance, repeat. In this market with rates going the way that they are, I can imagine that this would be a harder strategy than it was even six to 12 months ago. But that is the concept. And if you're, I mean, I will tell you, there are people out there who will help you do these kinds of deals because there's a lot of cash floating around out there and people want to put it to work in various ways. And I, I'm willing to bet that you could find someone to be creative with if, if you found the right deal for that person's appetite. More than likely. So it's just finding, it's finding the markets. And I think, like you said, it's going to be tighter and difficult to do it. There's still markets out there, but you may have to search diligently to find them. Hans, you're always working to build a work-life integration and balance. Mm -hmm. Give us some insight into how you're doing that. 
I like this con let me back up. The work-life balance thing to me, that's not a term that I love because it sort of implies there's time when you work and there's time that you don't work. And that has never been a concept that resonated with me. I've always liked the concept of work-life integration as a real estate agent broker. You know, I'm always kind of responding to emails or responding to text messages or looking at property or doing something related to real estate on the weekends, on the evenings, in the mornings, you name it, right? Some might call that working too much. I think it's exactly, it's personally what I want to be doing all the time. And so work-life integration to me is knowing what you want to be doing every day and spending some time doing it every day. But, but that also comes with like, what are your you know, hobbies and cooking and spending time with your significant other or your friends and family doing social activities? Like, how do you work all of these things together? One example I can give you is we like to host, we like to socialize, we have a house, we have a really fabulous block, we love our neighbors, we love our community. And so one of the things that we do is we do this drinks in the driveway thing. And that's what we call it. We actually learned this. We're part of Keller Williams. We went to a family reunion. Someone was talking about how do you work in neighborhood? How do you build yourself as an expert? Drinks in the driveway was something that we heard there. Like, man, we want to do that. And so like once a month, we all we do is we have this list going of all our past clients, all our friends in the community, all our neighbors, all these people that we want. It's like a couple hundred people at this point. We say, hey, on Friday from five to seven, come to our house. We're going to do drinks in the driveway, bring a chair, bring a cocktail, just bring yourself. We'll have beers and wines. They're ready to go. And we just have like a social hour on our front porch and our front lawn with everybody. And we strategically try to get a couple of our past clients in there, a bunch of our neighbors and friends, people we don't know. We tell people to bring people sometimes. And it's a networking opportunity. It's a socializing opportunity and it builds and feeds our business at the same time. So that's kind of an example of like, how are we incorporating business, social, fun, all of that kind of stuff into one thing. And that's just one small example of what I like to think of as that work-life integration. Well, that's a good concept. Integrating what we enjoy doing in terms of family and business. And what a warm and friendly way to do that with friends and uh, co-workers and family members, bring them all together in a very warm and welcoming environment. Enlightened investors, I've enjoyed being with you today. Look forward to being with you in our next episode. Hans, thanks so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.